This November, I'm going back to Italy, leading a food tour there, and I want to brush up on my Italian. And for that, I'm turning to Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, Sporkful listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash sporkful. That's half off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash sporkful today. This episode contains explicit language and mature content, and it's going to start just about as soon as the show begins. So I'm pausing here for a second. Maybe you're a parent in the car with small kids, and this just started playing. Maybe you're cooking in the kitchen, and you're chopping vegetables, and the kids over there listening. Just take a beat. It's okay. Maybe switch to a different one. Or maybe you let your kids hear these kinds of things, and that's cool, too. It's your choice. Okay? Here we go. Quick point on the roast beef sandwiches. Yeah. To me... Look, there's more than one great roast beef sandwich in the Boston area. Sure. Oh, yes. But if you are not griddling your buns in butter, then get the fuck out. I don't, are we allowed to say griddling your buns on this show? <laughs> I, I'm just, I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure that's cool. We are now. <laughs> this is Sporkful After Dark. <laughs> <laughs> This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. Today, I'm talking with actor Jason Manzukis. You might know him from Parks and Rec, where he played the fragrance maker Dennis Feinstein. You guys ever been fox hunting? I have my own foxes flown in from Russia. We drug them pretty heavily. Makes it easier to just walk up and pow! <laughs> Stupid foxes. It's deeply erotic. Or maybe you recognize him from The Good Place. He was Janet's short-lived boyfriend, Derek. But I almost have a full-grown penis now. It's resplendent and mostly functional. He's also played Rafi in The League and currently voices Jay in Big Mouth and Alex in Close Enough. Jason tends to play characters that are a little out there, oversexed, overconfident, exuberant, and yet somehow very lovable. Well, maybe not Dennis. Jason also co-hosts the podcast, How Did This Get Made?, about the worst movies of all time. But as he told me, more than anything else, he is an improv comic. Doing shows is the thing I love the most. Like, And I love doing movies or TV, or yeah, I love doing my podcast or, and whatnot. But improv gave me a safe place to truly just take leaps of faith. That's really exciting and electric and, and for me, quite freeing. You know, from what is otherwise a, a life that is pretty much based on routines and rigidity and vigilance. That rigidity, that vigilance that Jason's talking about, it all has to do with food. You see, Jason is allergic to eggs. I'll describe it to you the way I would describe it to, like, if I'm eating at a new restaurant, right? I have a life-threatening food allergy to eggs. I can't eat anything that uses egg in the preparation at all. And that can mean trace elements that are from the cross-contamination of the kitchen itself. Can't put the something I'm eating in the same fryer that the crab cakes just came out of or whatever. What is your earliest memory of your egg allergy? It was discovered when I was, like, you know, a baby. Um, so I don't remember any of those times. But it was frequent that I would eat something and have to be taken to the hospital. And my earliest memory is probably I was at another kid's house and the mom was trying to give us cookies. And I was trying to say, I, I can't have cookies. 
the mom and I kind of were like going back and forth. And eventually, obviously, I was a little kid. So I ate the cookie and then had to be an ambulance had to be called and I had to go to the hospital. What, what, what was she saying? Was she like, no, you're oh, fine. You're you fine. Don't worry about it. I'm sure it's going to be fine. Listen, we're talking about a time when food allergies weren't thought about and weren't frankly like believed. I'll get it every once in a while now where, you know, I'll say in a restaurant like, can you find out from the kitchen if this has eggs in it, blah, blah, blah. I have this allergy, blah, blah, blah. And the person will be like, oh, I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> and I'll be like, oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I don't need you to be sure I'll be fine. I actually need you to talk to someone in the back and make sure this is safe, right. you know? Oh, my God. Um, and that's the kind of vibes that I grew up with a lot in, like, 70s Boston. Because in a lot of people's minds, they're picturing, is there a fried egg on this? No. Right. You know, they're not thinking, like, oh, is there egg in the bread that that sandwich comes with. Or was it cooked on something? That, Correct. Right, you know? Right, right. And so that's how I would get burned a lot. Jason grew up north of Boston, an area called the North Shore. North Shore is actually where my mom grew up, so my whole side of the family is from there. I spent a lot of time in that area. It's known for its roast beef sandwiches. My favorite place is Kelly's Roast Beef, one of the most iconic ones. But I was curious to hear Jason's go-to spot. We would go to um, Mino's famous roast beef in Marblehead, and that was, like, a big deal because we were going to go into, like, rival town territory, you know, where there would be a rumble. This is, like, Sharks and Jets type stuff. It literally, I was just going to say, it literally was, like, a rumble, like, West Side Story. But, it, it all, you know, it always started in that Boston way of, like, you got a fucking problem? Right. Hey, you got a fucking problem? You know? I'm partial to Kelly's because my family, when we would come from New Jersey up there to visit, we, there would always be a stop at Kelly's on the way to my grandmother's house in Marblehead uh, for lo lobster rolls and roast beef. Yeah. Um, my grandmother still remembered going to the um, boardwalk and an amusement yeah, oh, park yeah. there on Revere Beach when she was a little kid. Uh, you know, but she's since passed away, but you know, it, it's now probably 80 or 90 years ago that she was there. Actually, it could be close to 100 years ago that she was there. And she still remembers the fact that her and her sister, her mother, my great-grandmother, would only let them get one hot dog to share. Ugh. And like a hundred years later, she was still bitter Ugh. about the fact that she couldn't get her own hot dog. Those food grievances, <laughs> those will stick yeah. with you. You know, yeah. that's like a real when you are denied food or when you are yeah. when your food is like like controlled in that way, like that, you that sticks with you. You remember that. Is there a specific food grievance from your childhood? You know, Did you remember? It, there's a food. Yeah, it's it, it, there is a bit of one. I was staunchly not allowed to have sugar cereals, like at all. It really upset me. It was like such a it, it was such a bummer. But anytime we went to my aunt's house, she would always like bring me into the kitchen, and in her pantry, she would have a box of honeycomb cereal, which is the sugar cereal that I had had and I liked. And then also she would wrap and give me a box of sugar cereal for Christmas <laughs> because that's that would be a way to smuggle it in that I would be able to have it. And that was also right. like, so there's like, it's a grievance, but the grievance also comes with kind of a wonderful story uh, about my aunt. It wasn't just sugar cereal that Jason couldn't have, of course. The egg allergy made almost every meal a challenge for him. As he said, growing up in the 70s, food allergies just weren't as commonly diagnosed. So it was a struggle to explain it to people, and it made him feel just really different from other kids. I didn't know anybody else who was allergic to anything. And 
as a result, I feel like my pediatrician's methodology for impressing upon me the reality that I needed to take my allergies seriously was fear. One year he told me a story. He was like, you know, it's it's too bad because you want to have uh, these things, ice cream, or you want to have pancakes, or you want to have these, you want to eat these things because they're, they're so good and they're so normal. He said, but I had a patient who was a little boy just like you, and he went to a pizza party, and he had an allergy just like yours, and that pizza had eggs in it. And when he ate the pizza, he died. Like as and I'm I'm like probably I don't know six years old five years old I mean like I was like a child so right. the the real kind of framing for me to understand the severity of my allergy was an awareness of my own mortality you know that every meal was an opportunity unless I was really careful and very vigilant every meal could end in like my death. And how, how did your parents deal with all this? I mean, they were great about it in terms of, like, keeping me safe and all of that. But it also was, I think, for them, quite scary. You know, I was very, it was very clear. Like, my mom would make my lunch and she would be very and impress upon me this idea of only eat what's in the bag. Do not trade. Do not buy. Do not get. You're not allowed, essentially, to eat anything except for what's inside this bag. It also applied to my birthday party. So, like, my birthday cake would inevitably be made with eggs. So everybody who came to the party would get my birthday cake, but I would have to eat something else. How did that feel? Uh, Super weird. You know, years and years and years later, I was walking in New York City, and I ran into a guy who I who I grew up with, who I knew, and we weren't like super close friends, but we knew each other. So we hadn't been in contact since, you know, probably we, we left high school, 15, 20 years. And he goes, hey, Jason Manzoukas. And I was like, oh, hey. And he said, he said his name. And, and I was like, oh, my God, what is this? we're running into each other on the street in New York. So strange. He goes, hey, I got to ask you, are you still allergic to eggs? And it was like, oh, clearly the most defining thing about me from his point of view was that I was allergic to eggs. Right. I mean, like, there are worse things to have, for, to have been known for. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Like, you, at least you weren't the kid who, like, ate his own poop in kindergarten. Yeah, exactly. You're the kid who went into the second grade closet <laughs> and peed in the teacher's boot. <laughs> True story. <laughs> Wait, you did that or someone else no, did? No, I didn't do it. Dan, what do you think? I did that? I can't be both the egg allergy kid and the peas in the boot kid. That's too much. Maybe you invented the egg allergy to cover for your boot By peeing the way, habit. That would be bold. That would be, it's not a bad idea. Yeah. That couldn't have been me. I'm allergic to eggs. Growing up, Jason would end up in the hospital with an allergic reaction about once a year. No matter how careful he was, accidents would happen. Like the time he was egged on Halloween and broke out in a rash. Even today, it's a constant issue. A couple years back, he went on a first date. No food, just a drink. But after he kissed his date goodnight, he started to feel a tickle in his throat. Turns out her drink had egg whites in it. I have a very complicated relationship to food. Food is, in many ways to me, first processed as a threat. And has to be vetted uh, completely before I can proceed with it. The idea of, like, a sumptuous feast laid out before me and me just indulging is, like, so attractive, but my entire life 
Before I can indulge in any feast, I have to have a full conversation with whoever prepared every element of that feast. Food is a source of great frustration for me. I love food. I love eating. I love being out to dinner with friends. I love being out in the world and, and, and trying new stuff. But all of it starts with a direct challenge to my mortality and, an, you know, a trust that I believe the people who are telling me I'm going to be okay eating this. But does that make it hard to enjoy food? Oh, yeah. I feel like people feel about the food the way that I feel about music or the way that I feel about movies. They have a passion and an indulgence. And, like, I feel very challenged by food. Like, a real breakthrough moment for me was hearing the artist Adrian Tomine on Fresh Air talking about his peanut allergy. And he was saying some version of... For kids with food allergies, they're not able to live a carefree childhood. No no child should grow up so acutely aware of and in charge of their own mortality. Jason says growing up this way, he felt like he was a boy made of glass. I don't know if it pushed me to be funny. I was like a funny kid, but I think being performatively funny was a way to be like... Look at me because I'm being funny, not because I'm the kid who is like... Not because I'm getting wheeled out on a stretcher. Yeah. And so I feel like there was a way that becoming funny made me the center of attention in a way that I could control. Right. And the peeing in the boots didn't work for you. You know, as many boots as I peed in, uh, (laughs) it never seemed... Nobody got the joke. Coming up, Jason gets his first big break on TV and immediately ends up in the hospital. Then later, I offer him a therapeutic escape from his allergy. Stick around. Hope you're hungry, because it's time for some ads. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Saving money on protecting your garden. Now at Menards. Messina's Animal Stopper is a liquid repellent that prevents pesky animals from damaging your garden. Available in a convenient, ready-to-use bottle. It lasts for up to 30 days, regardless of weather and watering. Save big money on Messina's Animal Stopper at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. In last week's show, we paid tribute to the man known as the Joe DiMaggio of pizza, His name was Dom DeMarco, and he owned DeFara in Brooklyn, which was always famous for its slices and its long lines. Dom died in March. But six years ago, I went to get a slice of DeFara with Ed Levine, founder of Sirius Eats. And I wanted to know, how does waiting in line affect the experience of eating? So I asked a few people waiting in line with me. Lisa, I see you pacing back and forth nervously in front of the window. Where are we on a scale from one to 10 now? I'm a little hot. Was 10 the worst? Yeah, t- 10 means it's a disaster and this pizza can't possibly be worth it. One is pure bliss. Uh, well, you have to understand that nothing is sheer bliss because <laughs> because uh, of 
the, my background as a uh, you know neurotic Jewish woman. So nothing. Who left New York? So you like woke up at a three. Right. Basically. Okay. Exactly. So yeah, I'm uncomfortable, and it doesn't help that I can't sit down and eat my pizza. Right. I'm at about a six or seven. A big part of the reason for those long lines was that Dom DeMarco would treat every single slice with care, as if each one was his attempt at pizza perfection. We'll miss Dom and the sight of him snipping basil for every slice of pizza. Check out that episode, it's up now, and I do get to speak briefly with the master himself. Thanks. All right, back to Jason Manzukis. As Jason said, he was always a funny kid, but it took him a little while to turn that into a career. He left the Boston area to go to college, studied music, played in a bunch of bands. Then he got an ethnomusicology fellowship in North Africa, the Middle East. Being in countries where he didn't really speak the language was very stressful. The first French and Arabic words he learned were the ones he needed to explain his allergy. After a couple years there, he moved to New York City, and that's where he first started doing comedy. This was the late 90s, around the time Upright Citizens Brigade was starting up. That's the famous improv theater in New York and L.A., Jason joined an improv troupe and started performing there. It was like a really vibrant, really incredible kind of comedy scene. Improvising, getting on stage, being part of an ensemble. That is the thing I am most excited by, most engaged by. And it's also the place that I feel the most present. Everything goes away and it's like I enter flow state. And it's really so satisfying and it's so fun. And doing a show for people that is improvised means... We're coming, we're getting on stage, and we're making up a full show right in front of your eyes that will never be done again. It sounds like part of it is that there's a level of focus and engagement that's almost meditative, probably. Yeah. But but then, like, it is the absolute opposite extreme of the way your egg allergy has pushed you to function in the world, which is nothing can happen without planning and discussion. Correct. In in egg allergy world. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're absolutely speaking right to it. In the world of improv, there's no planning and discussion. Correct. It's just immediate reaction, immediate moving. It's just live in the moment, listen, react, and that's it. There's something about that that is incredibly grounding for me. And in a way that you're talking about, like, I don't have to worry. I don't have to be concerned. I don't have to, like, be vigilant. I can just be free. And, 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 And it is my favorite thing. UCB became Jason's community. In addition to improv, he started writing and directing other people's shows. He took acting classes when he could. Eventually, a lot of his UCB friends started moving out to LA to do more film and TV work. After a couple years, Jason followed them. In 2010, he got his first major TV gig, a recurring role as Rafi on The League on FX. Rafi's kind of a side character, the brother-in-law of the main character played by Nick Kroll. Jason's first shoot for the show was in a hotel in Vegas. Day one went great. Day two. That morning, I went to Starbucks and grabbed a coffee and a um, granola yogurt fruit parfait, which had ingredients listed on the side that was, you know, I read and was safe. And so I had like two bites of the yogurt parfait and I was like, oh, something's weird. I get like a weird, almost ticklish sensation in the back of my throat, uh, which is usually the first sign that I've eaten eggs. And so I went back to the Starbucks and I said, I know this ingredient list doesn't say so, but is there any possibility there's egg in this yogurt, fruit, and granola? Which, again, seems preposterous. And right. the woman working there was like, I don't, I don't know. Let me see. We make it here in the kitchen of the casino. So she called down to the kitchen. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, yeah. He says he has an egg allergy. Uh-huh. 
Oh, okay. Okay, I'll tell him. Okay, thank you. And then she walked up to me and she said, the granola has egg whites. Oh, cut to, I'm being wheeled past all of my castmates on a gurney. Into, well, the, well, the, my castmates who are expecting me to join them to shoot a TV show. I literally am wheeled through production into a waiting ambulance and taken to the hospital for the next like seven hours. Um, and then have to return to set jacked up on drugs like crazy. I still needed to complete what I needed to shoot. Right, they have a schedule. They got to get their scenes for the day. Yes. Whenever they give me all the drugs, it's like hitting control, all delete on a computer. <laughs> so there is a whole series of scenes in the league where I have no recollection of having been there shooting them. I just, the only evidence I know is that it was on the film. I'm like, what? I don't remember doing that. I don't remember being in that room. Uh, imagine if like those are the best scenes you ever shot and that just like became your method. That, yeah. I developed a, a, a habit of like, I have to like right. eat an egg, go to the <laughs> hospital. This is the only way I can deliver a good performance. He's, He's really good, but the, the, his met, the way he works is so difficult on a production. <laughs> yeah. He insists on being wheeled through the set right. on a gurney just to engender <laughs> sympathy from his castmates. Well, if you do an indie film, you can be like, look, just paint my tongue with some egg wash and shoot me with an EpiPen and I'll be ready to go. <laughs> and then give me a Benadryl. Let me nap for a little bit. It's not that surprising Jason could be hopped up on epinephrine and still nail the character of Rafi on the league because Rafi is loud, brash, and does every kind of stupid and irrational thing you could imagine. In one scene, Nick Kroll's character wants Rafi to pose as him and take his son to swim class. Okay, few rules. One, no smoking. Cigarettes or drugs? Both. Oh, come on. How long does this class even last? Like an hour. What? Two, no swearing. Oh, shit on me. Three, no knives. What if there's an attack? There's a bunch of children and mothers in a pool. That's exactly what I would attack. <laughs> As I said earlier, this style is a common theme with Jason's characters. He plays Jay on Big Mouth. It's an animated middle school sitcom full of graphic puberty humor. Jay is always running around yelling mostly about his sex pillow. As Derek on The Good Place, Jason played a brainless goofball who lacks any kind of self-awareness. In the recent series Pam and Tommy, Jason is the voice of Tommy Lee's penis. All these characters are the exact opposite of that boy made of glass. A lot of the characters I play are me exercising like a version of myself that is that does not have the weaknesses that I perceive myself to have. These are people who don't have weaknesses in their in their opinions. These are people who are, you know, like literally I think Rafi from the league probably thinks he's like immortal. You know, like it truly, I think right. he I don't think he thinks about himself as vulnerable in any way, shape or form. So I, I got an idea, Jason. I want to throw something at you. Go for it. As a person myself who loves food and like yeah. looks forward to every meal, like oh, you yeah. know, like the second one meal is ending, I'm thinking ahead to the next day, you know, after dinner, what am I going to eat tomorrow? I feel bad for any person who doesn't get, for whatever reason, doesn't sure. get the same pleasure from food that I get. I wonder if there's a way for us to allow you to have that feeling even for a brief moment through improv. How do you mean? Well, what if we were to play a little improv game right now? Sure. Okay. We're at, we're at a restaurant. I'm going to be your server. 
I'm going to name a character. <laughs> okay. And you're going to be able to portray the part of that character, and that is a person who has no allergies to food, oh, food whatever they want. Okay. Okay, right. great. So, so, you, so, so as an eater in this improv scene, you are totally free. Great. I love it. I love it. All right. You're a kindergarten teacher who's skipping class to go out to lunch. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm uh, I'm playing hooky, you know. Um, oh, oh, really? What do you do? I teach kids, and, you know, today they were just... I went in my closet, there was a boot full of pee, <laughs> and I really, I had... Uh, I really, you know, I just am at my wit's end. You know, I really, these kids have pushed me to the limit. So I'm, you know, while they're doing an assembly, I decided to sneak away and get some ramen. That's that makes a lot of sense because I uh, I got kids too, and um, that's why I'm here. They don't even pay me. Um, I just come here to hang out. You work for free? Yeah, yeah. Because I just okay, need to get. I, I need to get I, my I don't kids. listen. I don't want to tell you how to live your life. <laughs> okay, but you should not be working for free as a waiter. They let me have some ramen out in the back by the dumpster at the end of my shift. You're working for dumpster ramen? Do you have a family? I, yeah, I have I have four kids. Oh, you you can't be supporting four kids on dumpster ramen. You should ask them to pay you here at the ramen. Yeah, you're, you're right. But anyway, like uh, have you had a chance to look at our menu? What what are you in the mood for today? We got you know, I whatever you think is like the best ramen. I've never had ramen. It looks delicious. What is the uh, the ramen to get? Well, so I, I like the ramen with the the thinly sliced pork on top. It's a big bowl of noodles, steaming Great. hot broth, full of flavor, uh. scallions. And then what I like to add to it is a nice egg. Yeah. No, that's why I mention it, because even though I'm not allergic to eggs at all, I've never had somehow a ramen with an egg. So I would love to. I well, would love to you try are this. in for a treat because what we do is we take the egg and, and after yeah. we, we slice it in half and the yolk Great. is like bright yellow and glistening, just a tiny bit runny. Even that description is giving me a tickle in the back of my throat. I can't <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> Uh, yeah, great. I'll have one of those. And right. please, I, I beg of you, ask to be paid. <laughs> ask to be paid for your work. You should be paid not being paid in dumpster ramen. Respect All right. yourself. All right, I'm going to go talk to the manager right now while I put in your order. Great. Okay, talk to the manager. Come back. I like that you did an aside for talk to the manager. <laughs> Keep that in. Even yeah, though you yeah. could have just come back and said, here's right. your ramen, sir. Yeah. I like that you looked to the side just for the listeners. Yeah, you no, looked that's... to the side as if you had that conversation. Right. No, I, I, I felt as if I did. Great well, I get, edit, Dan. Great I... edit. <laughs> here's your ramen, sir. Oh, so excited. This looks great. I can't. I'm also like so excited to have noodles. I'm not somebody who really much ever gets to have noodles like this. So this, oh, wow. Oh, this broth is so good. Wow. Mm. Mm. Hmm. That's delicious. Holy cow. Yeah. Holy and, cow. I, that is absolutely delicious. Wow. I'm so glad I did this. I'm so glad. This is exactly what I needed. You know, after I put my, my left foot into a boot full of some kid's urine, uh, this is this is the this is this is the salve I needed for this day. Yeah. Well, eggs are powerful. They really are. They really are powerful. Honestly, in many ways, <laughs> they are. They are. They have the power to give life and take it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. End scene. Oh that was wow! Fantastic. Oh, 
okay, I'm out of it now. Whew. How do you how do you feel now? Having, I having... feel like I have to do an EpiPen. <laughs> I'm, I was so committed to my character. I was so committed to my character that I actually felt like I, I'm having an allergic reaction. My mind convinced itself it had eaten eggs. Um, I want to skip back for a minute. I, I know that this is against the rules of improv, but I'm not an improv pro like you. And I, and I okay. realized that I th- you want to like, go back? Well, I, I just want to go back because I don't know if it'll be obvious to all listeners that you were talking about the noodles because there's sometimes egg in the noodles. Oh, okay, sure. And so I, just, I think we should just like, Make one small reference to that because I think it will just pay off the Wait, arc of the in episode. The scene? Just like you were already talking about in the, the improv scene or in our conversation. In the improv scene, I just want to I just want to be able to be oh, like, I see. well, you know what makes our ramen noodles so good is that we add egg to the dough, and that adds this just special tooth sinkable texture that's just fantastic. Okay, well, here's what I'm going to say because that is antithetical to the entire principle of improv. I'm going to let us do it, but we have you can't put it in the scene. You have to put it here. Okay. <laughs> you have to keep it here like this. Okay. To like edit it- into the improv scene is literally against the entire principle of what I was saying I like about improv. You're right. I understand. I will not violate that code. That would be like walking out front of UCB and be like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Everybody get back in. Get back in. I thought of a better joke. Yeah. Right. Can, can everybody go back to their seats, please? Right. Go back to your seats. Right. But no, right. let's do it. Let's do it right here. And, no, no. and but but keep it here. All right. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> so so talk again about how you're so excited to eat the noodles. Yeah, I'm really excited because like this broth is so aromatic and this egg was delicious. And I'm excited to, to get to get into these noodles. I rarely, I you know, I don't get noodles like this all the time. Well, you know what makes ramen noodles so good is that there's egg there in that batter, and that gives them an extra sort of like soft and chewiness that uh, that is unmistakable, and that's part of what makes ramen so delicious. Uh, hold on, I'll try them. Hmm. Ooh. Mm, yeah, that's delicious. Ooh, yeah, you can really taste the eggy kind of flavor, which is a flavor, of course, I know very well. Mm. <laughs> How do you think that living with this allergy for so long has affected you more broadly? I would imagine that living with a sort of constant low-grade fear of dying at any moment would have some effect. It, it makes me mistrustful of of the world and people. Not because they have malice towards me, but simply out of ignorance. But everybody else's life is, food is there to be eaten, enjoyed, and f- I, my relationship to it is so complicated, I want a guarantee. I want a guarantee that this is going to work out. That's how I approach life. That's how I approached a career in comedy. That's how I've approached interpersonal relationships. All of these things, I I would say in a lot of ways, to the negative. Like, too uh, rigid. You know, you should be able to proceed forward with things with less than 100% guarantee of their certainty of working out. Because guess what? That's impossible. But I I had a therapist once say, people aren't eggs. (laughs) People aren't going to kill you. They might disappoint you. They might let you down. Blah, blah, blah. People aren't eggs, you know? And that was like a real like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Smart. So you, you talked about how like if, you, if you're going to go out to eat or if you're going to go to someone else's house for food, you know, it's this whole stressful production, a lot of questions, a lot of, you know, uh, vetting. But when people do take it seriously – and the meal goes off without a hitch, and you can tell that they went to great lengths to make sure of it, how does that feel? Oh, it's like the greatest. It's like, because sometimes people will be like, okay, Jason, those three dishes, don't eat that. But there have been a couple of occasions where people have been like, you can eat everything. 
everything, I made sure everything is safe. And that is so generous and so kind and so thoughtful because, you know, I know that a lot of probably adjustments or a lot of thought had to go into making a meal completely egg-free and I'm telling those people you're in charge of keeping me alive tonight. And I know that that's a burden. It stresses people out. There is a way in which people taking care of me that way, that is love. The way that cooking food for people is itself a demonstration of love. There is an added element to when people make me food that is, I'm going to keep you alive. Don't worry about this dinner. You are safe. Just enjoy. That's actor and comedian Jason Manzukis. You can hear his voice on the animated HBO Max show Close Enough. Season three just came out a couple weeks ago. He's also a co-host of the incredible podcast, How Did This Get Made? Next week on the show, I visit an Afghan restaurant in Houston that's become a gathering place for new refugees. The owner tells me his story of coming to the U.S. and how things have changed in Houston since American troops withdrew from Afghanistan last year. That'll be next week. While you're waiting for that one, check out last week's show about Brooklyn's own Defara Pizza with a special tribute to Dom DeMarco and a deep analysis on the psychology and economics of long lines. Thanks. This show is produced by me, along with senior producer Emma Morgenstern and producers Andres O'Hara and Johanna Mayer. Our editor is Tracy Samuelson. Additional editing help from Fernanda Aguero. The show is mixed by Jared O'Connell. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Peter Clowney and Eric Eddings. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And I'm Lillian in Boston, reminding you to eat more, eat better, and eat more better. <laughs>